I should have taken Sheldon's trade. I mean, I tried to take Sheldon's trade. You watched it. I tried to take Sheldon's trade. For some reason, the trade didn't go through. That was at 42.5. And now look at it. 40, 44.7. I missed out Sheldon's XRP trade. Can you believe it? Anyway, today we're going to talk about XRP. We've got some massive news around XRP. We've got massive news around Cardano. We're also going to talk about the FOMC meeting and Bitcoin after the FOMC meeting is exactly at the same level that it was before the FOMC meeting. So what does this actually mean? Was there anything in the FOMC meeting that we need? And I'm going to show you two tokens that are probably worth buying. So yeah, I think it's going to be, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I'm going to say it's going to be a big show because it's going to be a quick show. Fuck out of bed, bitch, go. Get up, get up, and then they got go. Uh. Time to wake up, time to wake up, bitch, get up. Get up, get up, get up. Actually, sitting here, is James actually sitting here complaining about having long life milk in his coffee? <laughs> he told me I must please get the, uh, the decaf coffee grinded beans for him for coffee. You made him coffee and now he's complaining about the quality of the milk in the coffee. <laughs> yes. Is that what's going on here? Exactly. You guys have lost your marbles. You lost your marbles. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back, guys. Welcome back. Nice to see you again. It's like I haven't seen you for a whole lot of hours. We were live yesterday, twice. Uh, I joined Sheldon's show a few minutes ago. My goodness, am I, am I, uh, am I streaming a lot these days? Um, we've got a lot to talk about today. We've got a lot to talk about today. You can actually do me a favor. Go onto Twitter, go onto Telegram and tell everyone that today on Banter, we are going to be talking about XRP. And we're going to be talking positively about XRP. So do me a favor. Go and call the XRP army. Tell them to come and join us. It doesn't happen often, but today we're going to be talking about XRP. Uh, I may even enter an XRP trade. Maybe, 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 maybe I'm going to enter an XRP trade. Uh, also, Cardano. We're going to be talking about Cardano. And then we're going to be talking about Bitcoin. Then we're going to be talking about Ethereum. Then we're going to be talking about FTT. Then we're going to be talking about Helium. Then we're going to be talking about the Japanese yen. Um, and then hopefully we'll be able to 10x some Bybit and BitKit portfolios. I'm trying to see if they've sent me the updated lists. Let's just have a look here um they may send it to me by the end of the of the show so we may be able to do some uh, 10x buy bits and 10x bit kits uh in the interim if you're new listen so subscribe to the channel subscriber numbers have been growing nicely we're back at 90 percent of you that are subscribed that means 10 of you are still uh 10 percent of you are still undecided which is crazy um other shit to get off the toilet you know if you like this if you like being here then join us and if not just get off the toilet let someone else in um what else? Um, let's quickly look at Sheldon's trade. Let's, let's quickly look at Sheldon's trade. I mean, I would have been up a couple of grand. because You can actually see, I tried to put the trade in over here, 42.74. And then I pressed buy, buy, buy. For some reason, it didn't work. And now it's 44.5. I wonder if I should actually take a nibble here. Uh, that'll depend on, on, on the news that I'm going to show you guys. Uh, also, do we need to turn bearish after yesterday's um, FOMC? Because yesterday's FOMC was quite scary. I think you'll agree with me. It was quite scary. Let, let's actually dig into yesterday's FOMC meeting. So what happened at the FOMC meeting? Um, what we're used to seeing at the FOMC meetings is 
a lot of volatility. And I mean, yesterday, I don't know if you saw this, but you know, if you look at Bitcoin, if you look at Bitcoin like this, just sorry, someone's saying my forehead is shiny again. So what do I need to do? I need to turn down, turn down the volume here, but turn down the volume here again. Okay. So if you look at the daily, it looks like Bitcoin's in that range again, still in that range, still holding that support miraculously, actually now bounced off that range. And it doesn't look very scary, but if you go back to the one hour chart, and this is yesterday's one hour chart, and look at the volatility that we got on the one hour charts uh, when the FOMC meeting came in. And it's kind of like, we're starting to see the same pattern in, in all the FOMCs, very, 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 very high volatility. So, you know, we came in at 18,820. At one point, we got to 19,907. Then we went as low as 18,100. And now we're back at 19,153. So after all the volatility, we're back, we're back where we started. So the one thing we know is that the FOMC meetings bring in amazing volatility. Now, if you're an absolute real, real, real degen and you want to play that volatility, watch these guys. These guys were playing it in on 40x leverage. Okay, so these guys were playing the FOMC meeting on 40x leverage. Now, when I analyze this, truth be told, these guys are actually fantastic traders because what they did was they put a very small amount, they risked a very, very, very small amount of capital. They made $100,000. They should have exited. They didn't exit and they blew the whole thing up. But when they blew themselves up, they, they lost a very little bit of money. So let's actually watch this trade. This is what you call trading the FOMC in absolutely high leverage. Oh. Okay, so watch the bottom here. $99,000 up, $100,000 up, $110,000 up, $103,000. Now watch the red candle. Watch the red candle. Watch that red candle. $90,000 up, $84,000 up, $73,000 up, $72,000. Watch the red candle. The red candle is breaking them. Okay. $63,000, $65,000, $48,000. 31, 14, minus 2,000, up 1,000, minus 4, liquidated. You see, but, I think he's feeling sick. That's why he's green. I think he's feeling, I think he's feeling, feeling really sick. But I mean, so I mean, look, they were trading it in, in, in absolutely high volatility, on absolute um, degen 40x leverage. But if you analyze what they were actually doing, they actually quite—they were relatively smart. They just sort of exited near the top. But they had—they um, went in at a very, very, very small stop loss, very, very uh, stop loss, very, very low uh, uh, below the entry price. And they could have rid ridden the whole thing up. I think they just got on, got caught on the wrong side. Anyway, um, I don't encourage anyone to be trading on 40x leverage. But if you are going to trade on 40x leverage, then that's the way to do it. Put a very, very um, small stop losses and then really uh, start enjoying the upside. By the way, these are the Koreans that we lost to in the trading challenge. So remember when you had that whole Bible trading challenge? These are the same Koreans. They're an absolute, absolute bunch of degens. Very, very hard, very hard to, to trade against them. What we know for sure, though, now is that we get volatility at the FOMC meetings and the, the volatility is always the same. So what happens is you get a run up to the FOMC meeting. As the FOMC meeting drops, we get a drop in price. And then as Powell speaks, the price goes up. And then as soon as Powell finishes speaking, the price goes down. And that goes for all the previous FOMC meetings. So this guy went and ran, ran a analysis on all the FOMC meetings. There is a dump just before Powell starts speaking. When Powell starts speaking, we always go up and then we start coming down. That's happened in the July FOMC meeting. 
It happened in the June FOMC meeting. It happened in the May FOMC meeting. And it happened in the March FOMC meeting. So I think we're kind of learning how to trade these meetings. Uh, we'll keep that information in mind for, for the next FOMC meeting. But for now, let's talk about what this FOMC meeting was about and what caused the market to do what the market did. So what did the market do? The first thing the market did was, well, Bitcoin stayed stagnant. Not much going on with Bitcoin. The NASDAQ was a slightly different story because the NASDAQ went into yesterday um, there, which is about 12,000, and it's down uh, to 11,589. So it's about down about 500 points or 4% um, uh, in, in total from, from the high of yesterday. So clearly stock markets didn't like what, what Powell had to say. Um, while stock markets didn't like it, for Bitcoin, Bitcoin didn't move, and that's quite an encouraging sign. It kind of, kind of maybe shows that Bitcoin has reached some kind of very strong resistance level or support level, so to speak. Um, in that, when the markets, even though the markets have come down a hell of a lot, uh, Bitcoin actually recovered. The Dow went down like 500 points, and Bitcoin still is holding this range and still holding that 19,100. So that, that is quite encouraging. Anyway, let's dig into the meeting. Let's look at what happened. The first thing that we got, we got 75 basis point rate hike, which was the better case scenario because some people were still talking about a one percentage point increase. We got 75 basis points, which was amazing. Then the press, um, the I don't know what they call this. They, they, they publish this and they send it out straight after FOMC meeting. It's not exactly the minutes. Um, but this is what threw everybody off. And this is why the market started to come down immediately afterwards. It was this fill in the dot scenario. So everyone was talking about the dots yesterday. It's the first time that I've ever heard anyone talking about the dots. So let's talk about what these dots actually are. So there are, I think, 12 participants in the FOMC meeting. And what the 12 participants are then asked to do is they're asked to plot where they think interest rates will be at different points in time. So that's what they're asked to do is they're asked to... to plot where where they believe interest rates will be at a certain point in time so you can see from here that one member is by the end of 2022 one member is expecting interest rates to be at 3.75 so it's not 12 members it's 20 members then you've got eight that are saying it's going to be at four percent then you've got uh, nine that are saying it's going to be somewhere between 4.25 and 4.5 and one member of the fomc is expecting a 4.5 to 4.75 and then you can see that they are taking the expectations up for 2023. And what you can see here is in 2023, there are one, two, three, four, five, six. I think it's, is it six? There's six of them that anticipate that in 2023, rates are going to be up to as high as 4.75%. And this moved up one percentage point from the previous FOMC. And that's what threw the markets off. The markets don't like uncertainty. They don't like change. And what they don't like is the fact that now even people inside the Fed are saying, all right, look, we thought that the rates in 2023 were going to be something. They're now going to be 1% higher at 4.75%. Uh, um, okay, so why should you care? Over the last year's markets went up because of low interest rates in a low rate regime, fixed income. I think we know all of that. Um, okay, so where, where does this leave us? In fact, I think what we should do is let's listen to what Powell said. Let's analyze what Powell said. Because he said some, he, he had some pearlers as usual. Rates by three percentage points this year. Okay, at some whoa, point. Whoa, whoa. That's, too, that's too fast for most people. You can see how, how fast I listen. As the stance of monetary policy tightens further, it will become appropriate to slow the pace of increases while we assess how our cumulative policy adjustments are affecting the economy and inflation. So first thing was good. He started talking about slowing. He said, 
you know, we, we will eventually have to start slowing, which is, again, that's quite dovish. That's quite positive. We will continue to make our decisions meeting by meeting and communicate our thinking as clearly as possible. Restoring price stability will likely require maintaining a restrictive policy stance for some time. The historical record cautions strongly against prematurely loosening policy. Thus we know nothing new. As shown in the SEP, the median projection for the appropriate level of the federal funds rate is 4.4% at the end of this year, one percentage point higher than projected in June. The median projection rises to 4.6% at the end of next year and declines to 2.9% by the end of 2025. My main message has not changed at all since Jackson Hole. So this is weird because there was a journalist that asked him a question. And before I answered the question, he said, I am going to answer your question. But before I answer your question, I just want to say this. And he said, my main message hasn't changed since Jackson Hole. And remember, at Jackson Hole, he was super, super, super bearish. He destroyed the markets. Why did he do that? Why did he come out and go like, look, before I answer your question, on a completely unrelated note, I want to just say that my, my stance hasn't changed. Crazy. It's almost like he wanted to say, it's almost like, you know, like you prepare for a meeting and you're supposed to be the bad person in the meeting. And so, you know, but you realize that, that you're, the tone of the meeting actually isn't so bad. And, and so you just stand up and say, you know, I have to be the bad person. And, and so he does that. Then he carried on. <clears throat> uh, the FOMC is strongly resolved to bring inflation down to 2%. And we will keep at it until the job is done. No one knows whether this process will lead to a recession or if so, how significant that recession would be. That's going to depend on. Then he started talking about recession. And for the first time, he's kind of admitting, look, if it leads into recession, well, it's going to be a recession. Uh, how quickly wage and price inflation, inflation pressures come down, whether expectations remain anchored uh, and whether, you know, also do we get more labor supply, which would help as well. In addition, the chances of a soft landing, landing are likely to diminish to the extent that policy needs to be more restrictive or restrictive for longer. Okay, so this is the first time that he's also not... You remember they said inflation is going to be transitory? Inflation wasn't transitory. Then the new narrative was, we're going to have a soft landing. Now they're starting to break away from the soft landing. He says, look, we may get a soft landing, but only if, if, if it allows, and probably we're not going to get a, 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 a soft landing. Nonetheless, uh, we're committed to getting inflation back down to 2% because we think that a failure to restore price stability would mean far greater pain later on. We make... Uh, one decision per meeting, and the meeting decision we made today was to raise the federal funds rate by by seventy five. Um, you're right that a uh, uh, you know a uh, the median for uh, for the year end suggests another one hundred and twenty five basis points in rate increases. Okay, so another one hundred and twenty five basis points of rate increases anticipated between now and the end of the year. There are two FOMC meetings between now and the FM end of the year. The first one is, I think, it is November second. Uh, let me just confirm the date. I think the next one is November 2nd. And the last one is the 14th of December. The one on November 2nd is a tricky one because it's five days before the midterm elections. Now, can Powell go into the midterm elections with a 75 basis point rate hike? I think it's going to go a bit easier. And that's right now when you look at the, the probabilities, you can see the probabilities of a 50 basis point rate hike, a 27.1%. And of a 75 basis point rate, like 72.9%. It's going to be interesting to see how that happens. But there is another 1.25% uh, uh, priced in between now and the, and the end of the year. So two more meetings, 
125 basis points. One of them is going to be 50 basis points. One of them is going to be 75. 75. Um, but there's also there's a you know there's another fairly large group that that saw 100 basis points, addition to where we are today. So that would be 25 basis points less. So you know we're going to make that decision at the meeting. We had we didn't make that decision today. We didn't vote on that. Um, I would say that you know we're committed to getting to a restrictive level of um, okay, uh, for the federal funds thing. rate and thing. getting there pretty quickly. And uh, that's what we're thinking about. There's a very high likelihood that we'll have uh, a period of what I've mentioned is below trend growth, by which I... So now again, he's talking about a recession. He's saying there's a very high likelihood that there's going to be a period of low trend growth, low growth, no growth, i.e. recession. I mean, much lower growth, and we're seeing that now. So the median forecast, I think, this year for uh, among my colleagues and, and me was 0.2% growth. So that's that's very slow growth. And and then below trend next year, I think the median was one2 also well below. So. That's a slower, uh, that's a, it's a very slow level of growth, and it could give rise to increases in unemployment. But I think that's, so that is something that, that we think we need to have, and we think we need to have softer labor market conditions as well. Okay, so that is essentially what he did. And the last thing that he said, which I think you need to hear, this is as he was leaving. At that point, which could be 1% or so, but I mean, I don't know exactly what it would be, but it would be significantly positive when we get to that level. And let, let me say, you know, we've, we've written down what we think is is a, a plausible path for the federal funds rate. The path that we actually execute will be enough. It will be enough to restore price stability. So assuring everybody that whatever they've got will be enough to restore price stability. I think we just need to look at the history. The history is first they said there was going to be no inflation. Then they said there will be inflation, but inflation will be transitory. Then they went from inflation will be transitory to we're going to managed to bring down inflation and it's going to be a soft landing. And they always said that they don't think that they're going to get into recession. Now they're admitting that we're probably going to go into recession and that the possibilities of the soft landing are not very good. That is, if you analyze all the FOMC meetings from, from back then till today, you realize that that is the track record of the Fed. And so it does feel like they're still slightly behind the curve, that they're not ahead of the curve and that they're going to be raising rates uh, for some time now. Um, Next FOMC, as I said, a couple of days before the, the midterm election. So I think that if anything, if Pa wants to keep his job, then I guess what he's going to do is going to do a 50 basis point right Let's see if I'm right. Next readings are on the 30th of September. 30th of September, which is a couple of days from now, is the PCE. That is the, um, the indicator that the Fed uses to, to, um, to measure inflation. Um, and the reason why they do that is because it doesn't contain food and oil, which can be manipulated. So um, we'll, let's watch this PC on the 30th of September. Hopefully it starts coming down, um, but I'm quite skeptical as to how much this will come down. So that's that's the Fed meeting. I guess the biggest takeouts are there is going to be a recession. Uh, they're now admitting it. They will fight to keep inflation down. They'll do whatever it takes to keep it down at 2%. Um, that's another 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 uh, another big takeout, and probably we're not going to get a soft landing. So we've abandoned all of those things. That's it. Let's look at some other other news because there's a lot of other news. The first bit of big news that we need to look at is the Dixie. So let's quickly go to the Dixie. The Dixie actually had a slight pullback. So if you see that, that's the that's the parabola. The Dixie yesterday touched highs of 111.812 now it's back at 111 and the reason why the dixie's gone down is you'll remember that the dixie 
is the value or the measure of the dollar relative to a whole basket of other currencies, right? So they take the value of a dollar and they measure the value of dollar against a whole basket of other currencies. In fact, this is the basket of currencies. It is 57% euro, 13.6% yen, 11% or 12% British pound, and then it goes to Canadian dollar and a whole lot of other rats and mice. Now, what you'll see, what happened today is something very interesting. If you look at the Japanese yen, the Japanese yen, Japan doesn't have interest rates. So the Japanese yen is, is the measure of the Japanese yen against the US dollar. And if you take the Japanese yen against the US dollar since March, since the 3rd of March, the Japanese yen is, has um, depreciated 25% against the US dollar since March. And so today, for the first time in, I think, about 20 years, the Japan, 24 years, the Japan Central Bank intervened and started to strengthen its currency in, in, the, in the open market. So you can see just how strong the dollar is getting, where now, for the first time in many, many years, 24 years, the Japanese uh, uh, central bank had to intervene in the market, which they haven't done for a long time. So I think this is a, a major, major, major turning point. Because remember, when the Japanese um, uh, uh, central bank intervenes, they don't use interest rates. They actually go and buy and sell uh, currency on the open market. So we've got to keep an eye on that. At the same time, if you look at the euro, the euro is at 9852. Um, it is, again, I think the lows were yesterday at around 98. It's not 9852. Um, cool. That's macro. Let's start talking about crypto because that's actually why we're here. So let's talk about a couple of things. There are a few indicators. Remember, we spoke about the umbrella theory. And I kept saying to you that when it's raining, people buy umbrellas. When the Fed is printing money, people are going to buy Bitcoin. But when the Fed is taking money out of the economy, when there's a drought, people aren't going to buy umbrellas. And that's exactly what's happening with Bitcoin. We're starting to get to the point where people aren't interested in Bitcoin anymore because the Fed is not printing money and they just don't need the umbrella or the protection against Fed money printing. And so as a result, you can see that Google search volume is lower than it's been since 2020. So we're now going back to, an er to, to a place where search volume on Bitcoin is going down to pre-2020 levels. But if you look at the bottom here, you can see that uh, search volume on Ethereum and other altcoins is actually starting to go up. So that's one, one, um, one place to show you guys that people have lost interest in Bitcoin. And even though people have lost interest in Bitcoin, we're still trading at 19,100. So uh, I think that's, I'm hoping that Bitcoin has found some kind of local bottom. I know Carl's gonna disagree with me and say we're going down, but it's gonna keep tapping and tapping and tapping, right? It's hard to say, I don't know yeah um we're also getting the fud that we always get near the market bottom and it comes from the same person jamie diamond what does jamie diamond do every time bitcoin gets near the bottom he calls it a fraud and then he says it's going to blow up but you, you know if let me ask you a question if you were the ceo of one of the biggest banks in the world and the biggest bank in the united states right so you are the ceo of jp morgan chase you service uh, the most influential clients in the whole world right Say that there was a share that was a fraud. Let's just say there was a, an equity that was a fraud. Would you put your clients into that fraud? You wouldn't, right? Because if you did, then you'd probably go to jail for knowing that something is a fraud and putting your clients into it. And here you've got JP Morgan, who is the CEO of the biggest bank, and he says Bitcoin is a fraud. But at the same time, JP Morgan is one of the biggest banks putting their clients into Bitcoin. It's weird that the, that the CEO of a bank can do stuff like that, call something a fraud, and then still put his clients into it. You, you know what? You know what? 
someone should actually sue him if Bitcoin goes down and say, said, you knew that you were allowing me to buy fraud and you still facilitated letting me buy fraud. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. There is another metric that shows that Bitcoin may, be, may have bottomed or may have maybe near a bottom. And that's the Bitcoin market value to realized value. Realized value is the price that people have paid for their Bitcoin. If you take all the Bitcoin that people are holding and you take the average price, you'll see that now Bitcoin is trading below its realized price. And it does that usually near bottom. So you can see it did it in 2019 near the bottom. It did it in 2020 near the bottom. It did it in 2015 near the bottom. So here's another bottom indicator. This bottom indicator is actually quite a reliable bottom indicator. So qu quite a reliable, reliable bottom indicator. Um, Galois Capital says things are so bleak and pessimistic. He's ready to long ETH again. I think he may be right. Um, I think ETH has been hit and oversold. So, so I think he may be right. I think ETH took a big knock after the merge. Everyone went in uh, leverage long. Now you've got ETH trading at about 1300, I think, if I looked at it the last time, 1291. Um, I think that it's probably a good time to be, to be looking at ETH um, if, you're, uh, if you're looking for a quick trade, um, a relatively safe trade. Speaking of, of quick trades, I tried to get into Sheldon's XRP trade. Here it is, it's come down a bit. Um, I think I've missed that trade, so I'm not going to get in. I'm not going to FOMO into it. Uh, but there is actually XRP news. So two bits of XRP news. One is we are expecting some kind of CBDC news, central bank digital currency news coming out of Ripple. I don't think it's going to do anything for XRP, but it is great sentiment. The other reason why XRP is going up is because Brad Garlinghouse, who's the founder of Ripple, was at Masari, um, Masari's uh, mainnet yesterday. And I think it's worth watching Did this interview. Did you get a sense post-ICO crash in some of your interactions with the SEC, that things were starting Listen to trend in the wrong direction, or up until the day that things went sideways? No, we, we had a sense. I mean, look, so uh, I remember when I first met with the SEC. The story of how the SEC sued them is fascinating and disappointing at the same time, because this is a government, this is a taxpayer-funded body. The SEC is a taxpayer-funded body. And their behavior is appalling. It's absolutely appalling in the name of protecting taxpayers. Just listen to this. It's, the SEC had set up this innovation group run by one of Val Sapanek, and she became kind of the crypto czar. It looked at, they were purportedly just, hey, we want to understand. We went in to kind of just educate them. Frankly, as I was going around the world, meeting with central bankers around the world, talking to them about, here's how Ripple Ripple solution works. Here's the kind of customers we're signing. Here's how we use XRP. Mm -hmm. We are one participant in the XRP ecosystem. And so the first meeting I had, Jay Clayton was there. And not once did anyone say to me in this meeting that, and by the way, again, no lawyers, well, no, no lawyers from Ripple were there. It was me and David Schwartz. And, you know, there's never even a suggestion that XRP was a security. And I thought it was a very constructive meeting just to talk about how, how Ripple was using XRP and how the whole kind of crypto landscape, you know, looked. Now, to your question, when did we get a sense that like the, the tone had shifted about a year after? So they call in Ripple to to help them innovate into an innovation workshop, etc. And then listen, that, we got a letter and the, the, uh, now lots of people got these letters. Like, I, in my judgment, the SEC has gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and just blasting out these uh, <laughs> investigative letters. But the first letter we got was simply a hey, we're looking into this. It's informal. We want your voluntary cooperation. And it, literally, there's a sentence in there that says, we've made no determination about what we view XRP as, but we want to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Now, what's interesting about that is, 
that happened and I think in 2019 we got that letter and we're like, oh, okay, like more active engagement, we're happy to cooperate. Uh, and again, one of the ironies here, I know you're pacing how we get into the lawsuit, but in that letter, it references there's been no determination made. Yet they sued us and me personally, suggesting that from 2013 to 2020, I should have known the whole time that XRP was a security. My attitude is like, I was in your office multiple times. Not once did someone tell me that XRP, they viewed XRP as a security. So it's a little bit, I think, and the judge involved in the case, and I'm getting kind of in the deep end here just for a second. Just recently, the judge- Listen to what the judge said about the SEC. This is mind boggling had a, a, a ruling about some discovery things and she described the SEC, one, as being hypocritical, two, as not following a faithful allegiance to the law. That's a quote. This is a federal government agency that works for us, right? Like it's, a, it's part of the government. We should feel outrage. Like the idea that now everything under Gary Gensler's view is a security is crazy talk. And I think it does go back to, I know I'm ranting for a minute, just give me one more second. Look, I think if you have to go back to first principles. I mean, you can rant as long as you want about Gary Gensler. <laughs> My marketing Look, team is relieved. I see I'm getting looks over no, there. It's, like, it's, it's me, it's not him. Not me. I'm exactly. Like, it's safe space. Look, I, I think we have to go back to first principles. The United States Security Exchange Commission is granted authority by legislation from Congress. The 1933 Securities Act describes a security as an investment contract. So everybody talks about the Howey test. If you read the recent summary judgment uh, motion, the point we're making is there's no investment contract. You don't even get to the Howey test. Ripple, the company, and Brad Garlinghouse, the individual, I, don't, I didn't enter into in a contract with anyone who bought XRP. There's no investment contract. If there's not a contract, how do you even get to the Howey test? So look, I, I do think the SEC has kind of gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And I do think in a, some positive way, it's catalyzing all of us to write to our legislatures, to donate to people we want to get elected. And it, I think it's, it may, the pendulum may swing a little bit of a smackdown to the SEC. So, the, what's, so what's happening now? What's happening now is SEC and SEC and Ripple have both decided that I want this thing to go to trial. So they've asked the judge and they said to the judge, look, We'll give you as much information as we've given you and as much other information as you want. Then we want you to make a summary judgment without this going into trial. And the question is, when will the summary judgment actually take place? That's when can we expect XRP to be either deemed a security or not deemed a security? So let's listen to what Brad Garlinghouse said about that. Uh, they're trying to delay it. Remember, we should have the motion for summary judgment fully briefed in front of the judge. Yeah, okay. I'm trying then to get the up. The question is, how long does the judge take to make a ruling? I don't know. You know, it could be as little as two months. It could be as little as much as six to eight, nine months. Uh, but I, I think the, the full case will be in front of the judge. And I, I doubt that you would have the judge come back and say, no, no, no. There's a dispute on the facts. Let's have a trial. Okay. Uh, okay so mid-November. Mid-November is when we should get some news whether as to whether uh, or some kind of summary judgment uh, in the XRP and SEC case. And again, I think regardless of what my views are on XRP, the token and whatever else, let's put those aside. The one thing we all want is we want XRP to beat or Ripple to beat the SEC because that's going to be a big blow to the SEC. Up until now, the SEC has adopted a modus operandi of just bullying people. So they come in with more money than everyone else and they bully you and they, they put you in a position where they've got unlimited money because they're funded by the taxpayer and where projects are forced 
to eventually give up and take a, take a settlement and admit some kind of guilt. And that's the problem. And I think if there was ever anybody that we wanted to fight the SEC, we couldn't have picked a better hero than Brad Garlinghouse, uh, Ripple Labs, and, and all the um, Chris Larson and all the money that they've got that they've got behind them. So I think that's that's the big XRP news. Um, I also, I mean, we're hearing CBDC, but I don't know. We we um, we we haven't got any any concrete information yet. Someone said, Ran, just say it. You hold XRP. I don't hold XRP. I might hold XRP by the end of the show if it comes down, uh, but it's still at 4420. And I'm not buying it at 4420 because Sheldon said, don't buy it. Yeah. Um, cool. That's that. Let's talk about, uh, in fact, if you missed the XRP trade, you have only yourself to blame because that means that you're not in our Discord. Um, and you should be in our Discord because all these calls are actually in our Discord. If you join our Discord, there's a link below. As you can see, a few things. The first thing is there are 19,689 members in the Discord, over 20,000 members. Right now, there's over 3,660 of them online. But if you're in the Discord, you're getting announcements. You're getting calls from Sheldon all the time, Kyle all the time, Bombay Trillionaire, who actually was the winner of the trading competition on the, on the banter side. One of the best traders I've ever come across in my life. Follow him on Twitter and, and join his calls here on, on, the, on the Discord. It's so simple to, to join the Discord. Just go to YouTube. I'll show you. It's so simple. Go to Crypto Banter. So simple. Just do this because it's like free. Usually people charge. These are like paid groups. Usually people charge for the shit. It's all free. Okay. And then sometimes Jimmy actually puts the link here to join the Discord. Here it is. You see? Just click on that and that'll take you straight to our Discord. See? So simple. Just do it. Usually people charge to be in Discord because we give it to you guys for free. Just do it. If you want to get into the VIP area, sign up to any exchange with any one of our referral links and you get entrance into the VIP area. Um... All right, let's talk about Cardano, Cardano, Cardano. Big day today for Cardano because today is the day of the Vassal hard fork. In fact, Charles tweeted a few minutes ago. He said eight hour, nine hours to go. So I guess we've got eight hours left to go before the Vassal hard fork. And it's been a long time coming. It's been delayed for a long time. But I think finally, 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 we've got the Vassal hard fork a couple of hours away. And I think it's pretty much unstoppable now. A lot of people that don't know what the Vassal hard fork actually does. So what is the, the, the Vassal hard fork all about? Well, if I were to summarize a few, what it does is it makes Cardano much more user-friendly and much quicker. So you can, we can read a couple of things here. Um, so it says here, yeah, Plutus is Cardano's native smart contract language. Vassal will deliver a second version of Cardano's scripting language, Plutus version two. As a foundational layer of Cardano, Plutus, if, efficiently separates the code that drives the smart contracts, which remains off and runs, uh, and runs on the user's machine from the on-chain validation of transactions. The new Plutus V2 feature will become available one epoch after Thursday's hard fork. So that's the first thing that it does. And then it, what it does is it streamlines the process of sharing information about newly created blocks, which means that it makes the block time much faster um, by ensuring that blocks can be propagated across the network well within the five seconds after their creation. So it just makes Cardano faster. Um, I think there's a lot of apps which are waiting to deploy after Vassal. So they've been waiting for this Vassal hard fork. And today we finally got the Vassal hard fork. So huge day for Cardano fans. Uh, what is the Cardano price doing? I think I looked at it earlier and it wasn't doing anything. 45 cents. 45 cents. And so not, not, nothing's happening on Cardano from a, from a price point of view, unfortunately. It's not a hard fork yet. It's not a hard fork yet. Um, you know, every cycle we 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 see 
um, signs that a new cycle is being ushered in. So, you know, crypto and markets always work in cycles. Cycles always look like this. You get to the bottom and then you start and you get to the bottom and you start a new cycle. And every cycle, we see certain things that happen um, before the new cycle. And one thing that we see that happens before the new cycle is the people that took crypto through the old cycle are usually not the people that take crypto into the next cycle. So you kind of see a shifting of the, the major players that drive crypto between one cycle and another cycle. And yesterday we saw another sign of that. That sign was that uh, Jesse Powell, who's the CEO of Kraken, is actually stepping down. And he's been at Kraken since 2011. He's been a, a Bitcoin OG. I mean, I think he's been here since the beginning. In fact, in 2013, he was already defending Bitcoin, which is, which is uh, huge. Now, he's not leaving Kraken completely. He's just stepping away as the CEO of Kraken. And they're taking the chief operating officer, Dave Ripley, and they're putting him in charge of Kraken. Um, and he's still maintaining uh, executive chairman role. I think he's one of the biggest shareholders as well. What's the relevance of this? The relevance of this just shows that crypto is moving into a new cycle. The cycle is a maturing cycle. So the reason why I think Jesse Powell stepping down is because if you think about Bitcoin from 2011 to here and building a Bitcoin exchange between 2011 and here, it's, it's like building a startup. It's like, you know, fun startup mode, build, let's start a new industry. And now if you think about what the role is of an exchange CEO operating in the United States, it's pretty much regulation, legislation, compliance, and stuff like that. And I just, I can kind of see why Jesse Powell is stepping down. You know, he said, um, for me, this is about spending more time on stuff which I'm good at and enjoy doing, like working on product and industry advocacy stuff, he said. So I, I think this is just a sign of the fact that crypto is maturing. He's not the only one that stepped down. In fact, Genesis CEO resigned after that whole um, uh, Three Arrows Capital collapse. Bobby CFO resigns, FTX CEO resigns, Alameda resigns. What this means to me is it shows that we're entering a new cycle. And I don't know how to say this without, without sounding bearish, but it's not a bearish thing. But it just means that the next cycle is not going to be as exciting as the previous cycle. Why? Because the, the previous cycle was startup mode, Wild West, vigilant moves. The next cycle is about compliance and actually bringing crypto into the system. Why am I telling this? Because I think it's important that whereas the big coins and the big players are entering the new cycle, there are a whole lot of other coins and smaller players where you may have one more small cycle left before, um, before uh, uh, um, we get into that cycle. So just it, we're moving more to normality. We're moving more to, to equilibrium. We're moving more to to being like a tech sector as opposed to this wild west, huge volatility, lots of fun um, crypto. So what I'm saying is relish the cycles, relish the pumps when they come. Um, yeah, people are saying disagree. Next cycle is going to be uh, uh, um, epic. You're right. But if you look at every cycle, every cycle is smaller than the one before. The gains percentage-wise are smaller than the cycle before. So yes, on an absolute term, they get bigger. But percentage-wise, you always make less returns. Uh, cycle, uh, cycle after cycle. Um, while Jesse Powell stepping down, FTX is actually raising a billion dollars at a valuation of thirty-two billion dollars. So that's interesting for me because if I look at Coinbase's market cap, Coinbase's market cap is only fourteen billion dollars. So it means that FTX is about two and a half times the size of um, uh, two and a half times the size of of FTX of of Coinbase, which is quite interesting that they're raising on, on that valuation. All right, then um, Celsius, they've got a revival plan. And you know what this revival plan means? 
it's actually quite smart what they're thinking of doing, but they've got to get an approval from the court. So if you have assets staked in Celsius, what they're going to do is they're going to give you a derivative token. So if you've got Bitcoin, they're going to give you like a CBTC, which is a derivative token, which you can then trade on the open market. And there will be a value in those open markets. So what it will mean is it'll mean that if you've got money in Celsius, you can actually get some kind of liquidity uh, now if this gets if this happens. You will get some kind of liquidity now. So let's keep watching the Celsius revival plan. It's not my wife calling. I've got to, I've got to be in crypto margin school in, in it's, yeah, it's margin call. Um, I've got to be at crypto school in a couple of minutes because we're doing another a cohort. In fact, we're doing a cohort with 2,500 people this time. We did one with 100 people. We did one with 500 people. And now we're doing one with 2,500 people. Can you believe it? Absolutely amazing. Listen, guys, I've got to go. I've got to be at crypto school. Love you guys. See you guys again tomorrow. Tomorrow is a Friday banter. Um... Huge Macro Friday banter. Let's just see who's on because I have no idea who's on. You can put the slide up for me. Thanks, Carl. Okay, so we got oh Harry Dent's coming on tomorrow. Harry Dent will tell us that the world's about to just to to explode and it's the end of our lives and it's 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 a very 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 bad, uh yeah, very bad, very bad. All right, we'll see you guys again tomorrow. Until then, have fun, trade well, my friends.